I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I love me some green juice, and that's why I'm so grateful to be promoting our sponsor, Organifi. And I talk about that a lot because I use that stuff every day. Now, another product I use from Organifi almost every day, but rather at night than in the morning, is the Organifi Gold. This is the Soothe and Recover blend. This stuff tastes delicious, you guys. It's like a golden latte. Now, the core of the Organifi Gold is turmeric. It's an anti-inflammatory spice. And it's one of my favorite herbs in the world. Now, they combine the turmeric with coconut milk, cinnamon, ginger, lemon balm, and even a couple medicinal mushrooms like lion's mane to reduce stress and help you relax and sleep. It's amazing. So I use this as a base for a lot of my very relaxing tonics. So I'll have friends that come over and they're stressed out from the cell towers in LA and the traffic and the 5G and, you know, life. And um, they're like, dude, hook me up. So I'll set them up with some biohacking technology, some things that relax them. And the elixir I always make is based with the Organifi Gold. Now I put all kinds of other crazy weird stuff in there too, but this is what makes it taste good and be effective. So you can go hardcore like I do, or you can make a very simple cold or hot drink with Organifi Gold and you'll be living the dream, whether it's in the morning, middle of the day, or especially at night, which again is when I like to take it. So go to Organifi.com, that's spelled with an I, Organifi.com forward slash Luke, and save 15% off your order of the Organifi Gold or any of their other products using the code Lifestylist. Organifi.com forward slash Luke, the code is Lifestylist. You know, when people use the term, I got a gut feeling, or you've got to listen to your gut, go with your gut. You know, there's really something behind that. Your gut is now known as your second brain. And what makes your second brain intelligent is the symbiotic relationship between the various bacteria in there. What happens to many of us, yours truly included, is that we get an imbalance, a dysbiosis in there where you have too much of the bad guys, not enough of the good guys, etc. So we're constantly working on creating a balance in our gut so that we can have a strong immune system, so that our digestion's on point, and so that we can remain connected to our gut and be in a good mood. Your neurotransmitters are created in your gut, or a lot of them at least. And so if your gut's jacked up, you're going to have a bad life, my friend. Enter our sponsor, Just Thrive Probiotics. You can find them at thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. If you use the code Luke15, you're going to save 15% off. So if you want to say peace out to bloating, gas, leaky gut, digestive problems, you got to get on a good probiotic that will actually survive the digestive process. The spore-based probiotic by our friends at Just Thrive actually works because it does that. It lives inside you and hatches and makes a friendly gut environment. So go to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke and use the code Luke15 to save 15%. This is episode 244 of the Lifestylist Podcast. My name is Luke Story, and today's show will be a Q&A solo episode where I answer very specific questions from members of the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. 
Of course, it's needless to say that if you have questions for me, based on the information I've learned in my 23 plus years of research and development into all things uh, self-help, spirituality, mindfulness, meditation, biohacking, anti-aging, etc., you can join the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group for free. Ask your question there, and it's highly likely that at some point, unless your question is really mundane or something that's already been covered before, that I will answer it on a show just like this. That's the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. And I'm actually live streaming right now into that Facebook group, kind of a double whammy here, so that members of that group can watch me answer their questions sitting in my podcast studio by myself. Because why not? So before I get into this, uh, I always like to preface these episodes, which don't include a guest that I can blame for their advice, but uh, I have to take responsibility for any advice or anything that might be misconstrued as advice on this particular episode. I'd like to remind you that I am not a doctor or a health professional. Uh, I didn't even graduate high school, so I would listen, not that that means anything, because I don't know that there's much good to learn in high school anyway, but I just use it as a disqualifier um, is to not encourage you to recommend risky health practices or crazy kundalini yoga meditations without consulting a professional. I am a professional podcaster, but I'm definitely not a doctor and have not been uh, trained as such. And many of the questions in the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group are around health in general, although I have been encouraging members and I will continue to do so, that uh, I think the philosophical issues that we face, be them of the spiritual and emotional health uh, genre, are probably more important than what's the best B vitamin or should I be paleo or vegan or carnivore or whatever, right? What's the best biohack for this or that? Fun stuff, novel stuff, but I think at the end of the day, uh, it's more about mindset and, um, you know, how you're living your life based on intention and your uh, raising of your own consciousness. That said, some of these questions are health related and they're fun to answer. And I'm just going to do my best to give my anecdotal reports on what I've personally witnessed or experienced. So that's my legal disclaimer. Send that to your lawyer. All right, Jonathan wants to know more about hyperbaric oxygen chambers. And it's funny that I, I made this manuscript for this episode before I dropped like a mega episode with Dr. Scott Share a couple of weeks ago, which by the way was number 240, that's episode 240. And the entire interview, which was perhaps an hour and a half, was all about hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is something that I'm a huge fan of. But for those of you that missed that or wanted to get my take on it, I'll give a brief uh, answer to that question. Now, I've been doing hyperbaric oxygen therapy for, God, going back probably 15 years um, for different things at different times. I think one of the primary uses of this therapy personally has been for uh, air travel, for overcoming jet lag and just travel fatigue in general, even doing road trips, anything that I find to be extremely taxing. Uh, I like to go in and do maybe a 90-minute hyperbaric oxygen chamber session. And what this includes, for those of you that aren't familiar with this, is putting yourself in a pressurized chamber 
that's filled with a high concentration of pure oxygen. I mean, I guess it's 99.9, something like that. And uh, it's not the it's not, the, how do I say this? It's the pressure that makes it work. In other words, like if you just got on an oxygen generator and put a cannula in your nose and breathed oxygen, like some people with emphysema or different disorders will do, uh, this is something entirely different. This saturates your entire body with oxygen. And uh, there's different types of chambers. I would say that uh, the hard chambers are the ones that are most effective for chronic illness and really moving the needle on your health. And those would be more of the medical grade. And then they do make these vinyl kind of blow up tube style tanks as well, uh, which from what I understand are less effective for chronic illness. However, I have found those to be useful and definitely way less expensive to do sessions in for just, you know, general well-being, uh, recovering from physical exertion exercise, travel, things like that. But from what I understand, especially after talking to Dr. Scott Scher in episode 240, who's one of the most world-renowned experts on the subject, that if you have something serious going on physically, uh, the hard chambers, the more medical-grade chambers are more effective. Some of the things that this type of therapy is useful for are uh, cancer, If you look into the alternative cancer treatment centers around the world, there are, you know, many of them in Mexico and Panama and places where regulations are not as strict as they are in the West or in the United States, at least Uh, many people will, you know, do kind of cancer tourism, I guess you could call it and leave the U.S. so that they can go do things that are more experimental and hyperbaric oxygen therapy is one of them. So it's been a huge, um, Uh, you know, therapeutic use for cancer and also disorders like erectile dysfunction because it increases blood flow. It's also been used effectively for autism, PTSD. It's great for concussions and brain injuries. That might be, you know, one of the most common uses of this therapy as well as autoimmune and Lyme disease, et cetera. So I think any way you can get more oxygen into your body and brain is great. Uh, This would be the most aggressive and also in most cases, very safe ways to do that. Now you can do breath work and then you can hang upside down. You can can do all sorts of things to get more blood flow and oxygen into your brain and into your body. Uh, Fitness, of course, cardio, great ways to get oxygen. Uh, And there are, of course, different supplements that help with oxygen uptake and all of that. Uh, One of my favorites would be paracetam which I just had a heaping tablespoon of uh, prior to recording this. And there's a few things like that that you can do, but the hyperbaric chambers are, you know, a huge needle mover. And in most major cities, you can find a practitioner. It's usually like an alternative health center, an anti-aging center, that kind of thing. Or in LA, we have a couple dedicated oxygen centers that are more like medical clinics. And uh, you can find these and they can be a bit expensive, uh, you know, between $150, $400 per session, something like that. So it's not cheap. But if you're someone who's chronically ill, I think this could be a great thing to look into. And so I want to thank Jonathan for that question in the group and also to definitely encourage you to research Dr. Scott Share. Of course, an episode, as I said, 240 of this here podcast. But you can also find him online. He's got a great website. I don't have the URL right in front of me, but if you Google 
Dr. Scott Sherr. That's S-H-E-R-R. He happens to be my personal doctor now because I was so impressed with his interview. He's just very knowledgeable. He works with Dr. Ted Achacoso. Uh, they use the same system of medicine. Ted was a very popular recent guest as well. So Scott is a great resource when it comes to all things oxygen. Okay, on to Tiffany's question. She would love to hear about my rewilding experiences and finding the balance between a wild natural lifestyle and the more modern biohacking approaches. Now, I love this question because <laughs> to me, the number one biohack or the number one way to support your health is by um, acclimating yourself back into nature as much as possible. And so I'll cover a few ways that you can do that, some of which will be obvious, like, hey, walk outside. Uh, and then also some of those include harnessing different technologies. Uh, I'm sure if you listen to the show on a regular basis, you've heard me talk about um, my uh, super fanness of red light therapy. I've got my Juve sitting here actually in the studio. I've got a couple of them on the property here. And that's a way of getting a natural spectrum of sunlight onto your body every single day, whether it's sunny out or not. So sometimes getting closer to nature means harnessing technology that either mimics or concentrates elements in nature. So we'll get to that. But let me just start out with um, why I think it's so important to get outdoors. And I'd love for you to uh, do some research on my friend Daniel Vitalis, who's one of the pioneers in a practice known as rewilding. And he's done so much content and so much work around the ideas um, that I'm about to cover. Uh, the main sort of uh, overview being that humans are sick because we've moved indoors and domesticated ourselves. And in fact, uh, this Tuesday, I just thought of this, he's the guest on our uh, regular episode. And he's talking about becoming a modern hunter-gatherer, which he's done over the past few years. I mean, I guess he still has to go to Whole Foods here and there, but pretty much homies living off the land. And so when I talk about rewilding, I always have to tip my hat to Daniel because he's really the one um, that was on my first guest episode, episode number two, going back over three years ago of this podcast, where he talked about you know what has happened to humankind uh, negatively speaking, as a result of us moving indoors. And if you listen back to my interviews with people like Jack Cruz and many others, uh, they will also indicate that uh, all pathology, whether it be mental disorders, emotional problems, or uh, physical illness, can really be traced back to the fact that we are not interacting with our natural environment. Uh, in the ways that we've evolved to do. So so getting outdoors is what's up in short. Here's some of my favorite practices. So the first thing is getting as much sun on as much of your body as you can safely. So for me, I live in LA. There's lots of sun. Right now it's uh, November 23rd, 2019 at the time of this recording. And I live in a canyon. And so I don't get a lot of sun here which is unfortunate. I also don't get a lot of um, cell towers blasting my brain while I sleep, which is awesome. But uh, it's not that sunny in, in the winter months uh, in the canyon that I live. So what I do in order to get my sun is I climb up the hill and take my dog for a walk. And uh, 
especially when it's kind of chilly, it's really nice. And I just take my shirt off and I'm just that guy who's walking around the neighborhood uh, with his shirt off. And, um, you know, some people might think that's kind of weird. I think it's weird to wear a shirt personally because, <laughs> because the sun is so good for you and your skin. Now that said, uh, I also have been exposed to the sun a lot for a long time because I'm kind of a sun worshiper and I also have fairly olive skin. Um, so I'm not very susceptible to getting sunburned. So when I say getting as much sun as you can all the time, that, uh, definitely does not include getting so much sun that your sun, that your skin turns pink and begins to burn and become sensitive and painful. That is not good for you. So in order to work up to sun exposure, uh, you really want to take it one step at a time. And depending on how close to the equator you are, what time of year it is, that's really going to depend. And also what time of day it is. If it's solar noon and you're living close to the equator, you know, five minutes of sun, you're good. If you're living, um, you know, further north and it's the middle of winter, you're not going to get very much sun because the sun is very far away, right? So you have to just kind of be sensible about how you interact with the sun. But there are a couple really good hacks. Uh, using red light therapy has actually been proven to make you more resilient when it comes to sun exposure. Also, uh, chaga mushrooms, especially in the form of just drinking a lot of chaga tea. Chaga has uh, melanin in it and vitamin uh, D2, which actually acts as sort of an internal sunscreen and helps you to be able to tolerate more sun as does the popular supplement uh, astaxanthin that is a red marine algae that they make into an extract. And taking some astaxanthin also makes not only your skin, but your eyes more resilient to sun exposure. And uh, the best time for me, well, it depends on what you're going for. If you're going for vitamin D and regulating hormones, then midday or solar noon sun is the most powerful and especially getting that on your naked body. Uh, there's been studies to um, support the fact that um, getting sun on your naked breasts helps uh, decrease the chances of breast cancer. And also for the gentlemen listening, getting sun on your nads safely, of course, uh, improves your testosterone production. And so there's that type of sun exposure that we're doing for the hormones. We're doing... Um, you know, just to get that great sun energy into our skin. But then you have the sun gazing, which is exposing your eyes and hopefully some of your skin to the red light spectrum that exists at dawn and at dusk. And sun gazing is something, again, I have to give a disclaimer. This does not mean going out at one in the afternoon and staring up at the sun like, like a spaz. You got to really think this through. Uh, sun gazing itself as a practice goes back thousands of years. It's part of the Ayurvedic medical system, in fact, but it is something you want to do safely. So I'm not going to teach you how to sun gaze on the show because I'm not an expert at it, although I've been doing it for many years. The basic idea is when the sun rises and the sun sets for that first or last 10 to 20 minutes, there's very little, if no UV present, which is what could damage your eyes or give you a sunburn or something like that, uh, you're getting the near-infrared spectrum of red light from the sun, which is essentially what devices like Juve concentrate and deliver to your body on demand. 
Uh, even that being said, it's something that you work up to. And, um, you know, what I typically do myself, depending on how long the sun's been up or how long until it goes down is kind of stare at a point that is maybe 20 to 40 degrees uh, below the actual sun. Um, and again, this is something you can easily research and find safe ways to do. You can also listen to my past episodes with Jack Cruz. I think every time I've talked to him, uh, he's talked about the benefits of sun gazing and something he's a big fan of. And he's a, um, a neurosurgeon and knows quite a lot about the brain and about the eyes. And one of the benefits you can expect in terms of rewilding, and I think what has been one of the detriments to our domesticated lifestyle is that um, your circadian rhythm, which includes many of your hormones and neurotransmitters are regulated by your exposure to different uh, color spectrum of light, especially dopamine. So if you're someone that suffers from depression and low dopamine, it could be, in my opinion, probably and quite quickly solved by watching the sunrise and the sunset. So I'll say that about your dopamine. Um, also using technology and pornography and anything like that, that artificially spikes your dopamine uh, is also going to uh, limit your ability to achieve the benefits, but that can be fixed and in some cases totally reversed by working on your circadian rhythm and your relationship to the light as it affects your hormones and neurotransmitters so positively. Next one is forest bathing, which, you know, is just kind of a weird word for like taking a hike or walking through the trees. Uh, there's something that happens to your nervous system. Uh, you have a parasympathetic or sympathetic nervous system response to your environment. Um, sympathetic, meaning you're more in a defensive fight or flight, preparing for danger kind of state of being parasympathetic, being very relaxed and calm. And I notice myself, even if I just go up the hill through Laurel Canyon and go to a park that I like to go to where there's very few people and no cars and you know it's quite quiet and there's a lot of tall trees. If I just walk around in there for an hour, I walk out a completely different person. So there's a lot to this, especially if you can do it with some grounded sandals, uh, such as the uh, earth runners that electrically ground you. If you can do it barefoot, you know, depending on the surface of ground you're walking on, that can be difficult in some forests, obviously. But being grounded, getting natural light in your eyes, which by the way, if you're wearing sunglasses, contacts, or spectacles, you're not getting natural light. You're getting artificial filtered blue light. And that's tough if you can't see. I understand if you have really poor vision, that's, that's difficult to do. But at least periodically taking off your glasses is very useful. And uh, I've found as I've acclimated myself to natural light that I don't typically feel the need to wear sunglasses. I prefer a hat if the sun's like in my eyes directly. But you do acclimate. But in forest bathing or just spending time in nature, you have the grounding effect you have the interaction with light, you have the kind of energetic resonance with all of the fauna and flora. And then you also have the olfactory effect of all of the essential oils that are being emitted from all these beautiful plants and trees. And even just sitting in my office sometimes as I stare at my bookshelf right now, I have a uh, essential oils diffuser and I love putting like the evergreen type oils in there and just kind of getting the sense that I'm in a forest, even though I'm sitting in the podcast studio. Obviously, if you get outdoors, you get that for reals, the real deal. 
So getting out into nature, whether it be, you know, desert, beach, forest is all good. But I think there's something very special about getting out into the mountains, into a heavily wooded area. There's just something very special about it. And also while you're at it, really taking time to observe what's growing there and interacting with it. I like to just go and kind of touch plants and just feel the soil. I'll just grab some soil in my hand and smell it and kind of interact with the microbiome of the forest. And I find all of those things just to be extremely grounding, especially being someone who's lived in the city for so long, but spent much of my early years in the country. So, you know, I've kind of like, I have a a part of me that's tethered back there, but for professional and just convenience reasons, I still find myself living in the city which is probably uh, going to end soon, hopefully, at least to some degree. Uh, another part of getting outdoors that I think is just, oh God, is just so therapeutic in so many ways, and that is getting into natural bodies of water. My all-time favorite thing to do in the world, well, I mean, in nature, maybe, I'm, you know, you know the thing that comes to mind that's everyone's real favorite thing, which you could conceivably do with your second favorite thing, which is getting in hot springs, meaning you could be in hot springs with someone you love, at least some friends that you like. But I find that uh, the healing mineral waters of hot springs around the world to just be so grounding, so therapeutic, so beneficial, and also just getting yourself in the mud. You know, some of the hot springs that are outdoors in nature uh, will tend to be quite muddy. And some people are grossed out by this. The mud will often smell like farts because there's sulfur in it. And it's just like, who wants to go roll in the mud like a pig? Well, I do. And there's a lot to that. Um, you can actually detox yourself by covering yourself in mud and going out in the sun and letting that dry. It's also a great natural sunscreen if you happen to be doing hot springs um, somewhere where it's quite sunny, you know, like in the summertime, especially at high altitude where you might be more prone to burn. So you can just rub that on your shoulders and on your face and places where you might get a sunburn. And there's also something too, and I don't know this is that this is scientifically validated, but I have a feeling it probably could be if you look. It's just not something I've looked into, but I've had the sense because there's so much bacteria in soil and in mud and so much of the bacteria or the microbiome of our skin suit gets destroyed through showering in chlorinated water and using caustic chemicals and soaps and shampoos and things that I'm sure our microbiome is probably not in great shape when it comes to our skin. And that's especially true for people who choose to use those, um, you know, hand sanitizer sprays and things like that. By the way, I from what I understand, those are extremely toxic, even to breathe the vapors of them. I know when I get around people using those like hand sanitizers, um, my body does not like it. It's like, oh, get that shit away from me. And I've heard, and this just could be a health meme. I don't know this to be true, but I've heard that there are bacteria on your hands and on your body that once you kill it with those really strong hand sanitizers, that it never comes back. So maybe you could get those things to come back if you go roll around in the mud and play in the dirt. I know that a really important part of rearing children is allowing them to interact with their environment. It helps to establish their microbiome if they get to go play in the dirt. So um, somewhere maybe in the turn of the century, we became very germ phobic and everything became quite sterile, which is understandable when it comes to diseases that can spread through lack of sanitation, such as you know water that's 
not clean, etc. However, um, I've never heard of anyone dying from going out in the forest and touching some dirt or some mud, playing around with it, getting it under your fingernails. You know, it's a way of interacting with your environment and sort of yoking yourself to the uh, the biome of the forest or of the hot springs, the rivers, the lakes. It's uh, connecting your biology to the biology of your environment, which I think has got to be a really good thing. If nothing else, it just feels really good to me. And then, of course, in addition to the hot springs, man, the holy grail of hot springs to me is if you can find some hot springs that have a freezing cold body of water next to them. You know, there are places on earth where hot springs will um, kind of emerge and people will build one with rocks right next to a cold river or something like that. That's that's the ultimate. Uh, there's a place in Colorado that I love called Pagosa Springs and there's a little kind of hot springs resort there. The whole town is basically built around, you know, these hot springs. And uh, there's a freezing river that runs right by it. And so you can just hop out of one of the tubs and wade out into the river and swim in the summer. It's not that cold, but I'm sure... Uh, in the fall, winter, and even early spring, that river has got to be freezing. And to me, there's just like, there's literally nothing better than getting super hot in some hot water and then getting in some freezing ass water, like an ice bath. I kind of mimic this at home because I have a jacuzzi tub in the, uh, in the master bedroom and I'll do, you know, like mineral baths, Epsom salt baths, put essential oils in there, um, magnesium chloride baths, things like that. And then I'll go get in my cold plunge in the backyard and kind of go back and forth and sometimes almost pass out because I make the tub super hot (laughs) and the other tub super cold. But doing this in nature is just the ultimate, man. I mean, it's just like there's, to me, there's nothing better than that. And so typically what I'll do when I travel is ahead of time. In fact, I'm just about to go to Costa Rica in a couple of weeks. And like after booking my Airbnb and all, you know, the rental car and all that, the next thing is like hot springs, Costa Rica. And I'm going to geek out and research that and try and get myself in some of them. So that's a great way that you can find them. Uh, You can also find hot springs now on findaspring.com. My friends over at Live Spring Water recently took over uh, Find a Spring from Daniel Vitalis, or at least part of it. And so they're, they're upgrading that site. Uh, which I'm going to talk about in a moment in regards to harvesting spring water that you drink. But they've now included uh, a directory of hot springs, or at least are in the process of doing that on findaspring.com, which I think is great. It's sort of a double-edged sword. It's like, I was actually talking to uh, Mukunde, the the owner of Find a Spring and Live Spring Water. And I was like, man, put every hot springs in the world on that site so we can all find them. And it's like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> but then again, you know, there's like the selfish part of us, hot springs aficionados, uh, where you don't want tons of people to find them. And I don't, you know, I don't know what is morally or ethically right there. Um, hopefully, if you're promoting a local hot spring, especially the ones in nature, I'm more speaking about that are kind of hidden away and harder to find. Um, you know, you're hoping that like. <laughs> that, you know, what do I, how do I say this? Um, Conscious people are coming and they're not like rolling up, you know, cranking loud aggro music and smoking weed and like nothing against smoking weed, but you know, just like if people are going there to party, that's what I'm trying to say, like leaving garbage and not respecting these sacred waters and the lands. And in some cases there's been, you know, I've seen graffiti and just beer cans left over and it's like, oh dude, come on. Why do these people have to find out about the spring? And so, you know, find a spring.com by 
creating a directory for hot springs could make things worse. I don't know. Hopefully not. Um, hopefully people like me and of course you listening to this show are going to be respectful of these sacred lands and of these waters that uh, creation has provided for us. So I don't know. I err on the side of like promoting this. I think if we have healthier, happier people, we have a better world. And part of what makes us healthy and happy is interacting with nature and rewilding ourselves. And I think human beings throughout our various incarnations over the eons have been uh, recognizing and participating in getting in bodies of water that have unique qualities. And most hot springs, they each have their own kind of profile of minerals, the way they smell, the way they feel in your skin, uh, the type of rock formations that you find them in, the topography, what's the word? Topography? You know, whether they're in the mountains, in the desert, et cetera, they all kind of have their own unique personality. And um, I think that humans are just drawn to that water because we know it's good for us. And especially something I like to do when I travel Um, Not only in the case of like finding the hot springs in a place that I'm going, but if I'm doing a road trip, I'll also find all of the hot springs, rivers, creeks, lakes, streams uh, on the way. And I'll stop in as many bodies of water as I can and jump in. And I prefer some of them to be freezing. I love when I find like a 35 degree river on the side of the road, I can just jump in. There's nothing more refreshing and reducing the inflammation from driving and the aches and pains of sitting behind the wheel for hours on end. So I'm just a huge fan of um, interacting with water in general. Speaking of interacting with water, I did a show, must have been 2017-ish, maybe it was a couple years ago. I did uh, the Water Wars Trilogy, where I did, oh man, it must have been like six hours worth of content all about the best drinking water practices. And so I encourage you to go back. You can even search in the Apple Podcast app, Luke Story Water Wars, and you'll find that trilogy. If you want to find all of my recommendations on water, you can go to um, lukestory.com forward slash water guide. That's lukestory.com forward slash water guide. And there I cover all of the different filters that I like. If you're going to go the filter route, uh, my favorite companies that produce spring water and why, um, advice on going to collect your spring water. It's it's pretty comprehensive. I did that guide a couple of years ago, but it still holds up. I think I might kind of update it with a few recent discoveries since I made that. A couple other companies have come out that make great filters and whatnot. And uh, the water, your water strategy to me is just crucial. Um, however, I'll just summarize by saying what I believe to be the best water in the world to drink is safe, clean, natural, untreated spring water. That does not mean you drink water from a creek, from a brook, from a stream, from a river, from a lake. That is not spring water. It might be a spring fed lake, meaning all that water comes from underground from an aquifer, but spring water in its, um, true sense means that it's water that's popping out of the side of a mountain and is just gushing out or trickling out in some cases at one location. And that water is coming from deep within the earth, sometimes as far as 10,000 feet below. And it's my belief that if you're getting spring water at a very high altitude, in many cases on the planet, that that water has never been through the hydrological cycle, meaning it's never been exposed to the environment post-industrial revolution. So that water is pure and clean and does not have acid rain 
pesticides, pharmaceuticals, chemicals, all of the things that are inherently and unfortunately in our much polluted water supply around the planet. So there's also something called primary water, which is a fascinating area of research. I recommend you explore primary water is water that has never been exposed to the surface of the earth and comes up at certain springs. And uh, that's as good as it gets. And what the concept is behind primary water, and I'd have to, I haven't researched this that much. It's just kind of something I've heard of and, you know, looked at a few websites and kind of dug around. It seems to be valid uh, as far as I can tell. But the thing with primary water is that it would indicate that the earth itself actually makes water. And that is a fascinating concept to me uh, because that would fly in the face of the kind of environmental extremists that say that we're running out of water, which, you know, like running out of uh, crude oil. Many people um, can scientifically validate that, in fact, there's plenty of that underground, not to say that we shouldn't look for alternative sources of energy that might be less disruptive to the environment, et cetera. I'm all for that. But I have a sense that there's probably enough water inside the planet to keep us going indefinitely based on my research. So if you want to explore collecting or harvesting your own spring water, this is one of the best ways to rewild. Uh, I would add that um, if you get my guide at lukestory.com forward slash water guide in there, you'll find a great lab where you can send in a sample of the spring water you find. And if you get your water lab tested, or you can, if you live in California, you can order water like I do from LiveSpringWater.com, and their water is routinely lab tested to be free of harmful microbes and heavy metals and toxins and all of that kind of stuff. It's the cleanest water you could ever hope for. No acid rain, no weird stuff in it. Uh, but if you find a spring, one indication to me at least that a spring is likely safe is if local people have been drinking from that spring for a long time. And the local people routinely go and collect water. For example, there's one on the side of, uh, I forget what highway it is, in Sedona. And I mean, you can pull up there any time of the day and people are collecting water. Now, there was a period at that Sedona spring where there was a fire. And uh, they had to spray that fire retardant on the hills around the spring. That got into the aquifer. And then they had to dig up the spring and clean it all out. And, and then, you know, after it all kind of washed through, it became safe again. But there are situations like that, which is why I always recommend just opting for the highest altitude springs you can find. Some of the best ones I've ever found are in Colorado. And many of them you can find on Find a Spring. And uh, to me, if the water's up that high, uh, the chances of it being polluted from above are in some cases nil because there's nothing above it, right? Now that's, you know, one could argue that that water is kind of being elevated from an aquifer underneath that mountain and those groundwaters could in fact be tainted and that could be valid in some cases. It oftentimes depends on the amount of agricultural activity in said area or industrialization in general. So obviously if you're getting water on top of a mountain and there's five coal mines or factories next to that mountain, it might be problematic. But uh, I like to get water from the earth. That's how we've evolved. That's, that's how we got here, folks. Um, if you are into the paleo movement, well, paleo water would be spring water that's not been touched by human hands, uh, except to put it in a bottle. So that is kind of my favorite way to get nature inside of the body. And then next would be 
interacting with animals, and this would include domestic animals when it comes to rewilding. I mean, my, my dog is about as far from a gray wolf as you could get. Um, she's been, you know, had all of the meanness and toughness bred out of her. Uh, she'll still try to chase a squirrel. And that's when you see that wolf come out. It's interesting when that happens. But uh, there is a visceral, just known kind of ancient relationship with certain animals that we have. And so I think observing animals in nature, even the ones that you can't get close to, uh, is just very grounding. And then even our domesticated animals, our farm animals, or animals that we keep as pets and members of our family, touching those animals, interacting with them, looking them in the eyes, hugging them, riding them, treating them humanely and respectfully. There is just something very grounding and soul nurturing about interacting with animals, whether that be in nature or in your home. Um, I, I put off getting a dog for a long time. I just thought, man, eh, it's too much responsibility. I'm going to be too pissed if they pee on the carpet or whatever. I want that to live my life free, man. Like I don't want to have to be responsible for something, that whole thing. I grew out of that and eventually got my dog a couple of years ago. And like, I'm obsessed. I can't wait to come home and meet my dog. And, um, you know, she's right here in the studio sitting in here, a little teepee. And um, just knowing she's there kind of connects me to nature, even though I'm technically indoors. So be with animals, observe animals. And if you're so inclined and you live somewhere where this is a possibility and it fits your lifestyle, uh, might even consider interacting with your animals in your environment by hunting or fishing. I know this is sort of politically incorrect in some circles. I would encourage those of you that feel that that is a practice that is not conscious and evolved to follow the work again of my friend Daniel Vitalis. He's got a new podcast called Wild Fed, which we're going to be talking about when he's on the show this week or yeah, next week. And you'd be surprised to know that um, hunters are in fact probably the most, generally speaking, the most staunch protectors of the environment out of anyone. Um, they are probably the utmost environmentalists because their livelihood, their sport, the food that they put on the table depends on the environment being sustained in a healthy way. So it's something you might consider. It's not something I've personally done much of in my life, or at least in my adult life. But um, I think that there is a place for certain people to build a relationship with nature through hunting, foraging, fishing, etc. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. All right, I've got a new discovery to share with you. It's called Peak Tea Crystals. Now, I've been a fan of tea and I've understood the health benefits of tea for a long time. But to be quite honest, I always feel like tea is a little weak, like the flavor profile is just not there for me. And as a result, I feel like there's probably not enough medicine in it. Additionally, I find it to be a little bit of a pain in the ass to make tea because you got to deal with the whole tea bag. You have to wait for it to be ready and all that. I don't know. It's just kind of like hard for me to figure out. What I love about Peak Tea is that they make a concentrated tea extract powder that you easily just pour into some hot water. And it makes this tea 12 times more antioxidant rich, and I would say at least 12 times more potent in its flavor. It's absolutely delicious. And so during the day, I'll often have one of these myself, like a green tea, maybe jasmine, mint green, or the fermented pu'er green tea. And I'll often offer these to my guests when they come in. And every single time, they're like, oh my God, this is the best tea ever. What is it? And uh, that's my secret. I don't tell them. No, I do. It's peak tea crystals. 
Uh, also at night, they have a hibiscus and a ginger that are really great kind of warming, soothing teas. And they're super strong and just delicious tasting. Sometimes I'll even use these teas as a base to work on other elixirs and like add some ghee and different things like that. And so they're just freaking amazing. And I'm excited to share them with you. They are triple tested for toxins. They're like absolutely the cleanest, most delicious and most health beneficial teas I've ever found. Very concentrated polyphenols, really good for your immunity and a balanced microbiome. They're just absolutely awesome. So here's what I'd like you to do. Go over to peaktea.com. That's P-I-Q-U-E-T-A-E, peaktea.com. Enter the code LUKESTORY and save 10% off. That's peaktea.com. The code is LUKESTORY for 10% off. They don't have sales very often. There's a hard company to get a discount with. So get over there and get your discount now. However, I must say this discount does not apply to their fermented Kuwait teas due to their limited quantity. Go to peaktea.com, enter the code LUKESTORY and save 10% off right now. And now back to the interview. Speaking of foraging, uh, this is something I'm becoming increasingly interested in and I've not delved into, but I really want to. When I'm out in nature, I do sometimes come across uh, plants, herbs, etc. that I know to be edible and I'll just munch on them. But I know there are thousands of them probably all the time around me and I just don't know what they are. So I'm looking forward to learning a bit more about that. Um, you know, as I said, Daniel's become an expert in this. There are so many people now that do guided tours where you can go out into your local landscape and find things that you can eat in nature. Uh, I know in LA, like in Griffith Park, there's a certain time of year where wild fennel grows all over the place. And one day I was walking by and I just grabbed a twig and I smelled it and it sort of had that licorice smell. And I thought, what the hell is this licorice? Oh no, this is fennel. So now when I go out, I just crush that stuff. It's delicious. And I mean, I don't like harvest it and bring it home, but just on a hike, I'll grab a stock of it and just kind of chew on it. And it's a great way to anchor myself into my local LA environment. Mine are probably dusted with chemtrails and God knows what, but you know, you only live once, right? And uh, next would be just general exposure to the elements, extreme hot and cold temperatures. I love slash hate Going outside, I might travel, maybe I go to New Mexico or Colorado or somewhere in the winter, and I will sort of force myself into doing a cryotherapy session by just going outside with little to no clothing on and just running around in the snow, (laughs) just getting super, super cold. Another way to do that, of course, is with, you know, like a clinical cryotherapy application using the technology that allows you to do that, jumping in ice baths, cold bodies of water. And then as far as extreme heat, I love going out and just sweating, you know, being in the desert, just being purpose, not dehydrated, but just allowing that those desert or even um, hot tropical climates to just kind of ring you out periodically throughout the year. And of course you can mimic hot exposure that we would have evolved to experience in nature through the use of infrared saunas or going to like a Russian banya or even uh, the barrel saunas that some people have in their backyard, et cetera. So I kind of hack this a lot of the time living in a city, just doing the saunas and the ice bath and the hot tub and things like that. But um, the reason that I'm such a proponent of this is that I think part of our domestication and what has made us so fragile 
in terms of not only our immune system and our general resilience, but also our nervous system and our emotional fragility, which in Western culture, so many, especially young people now suffer from. I think that we will become less sensitive to our environment and to what we perceive to be negative stimuli, like somebody's tweets, if we can handle sitting in a 220 degree sauna for 30 minutes or sitting in a 35 degree ice bath for 10 minutes, um, if you can build up your nervous system to be able to handle extremes like that, there are so many benefits, not only physically, but psychologically. And that's what we've evolved to do. Unless you were Oh, of a human species, <laughs> or what do you call it? Like a, um, you know, a nationality. I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but if you evolved to be from the equator or near the equator, then it's likely you would have had kind of a similar temperature throughout the year. Maybe you'd have a rainy season and then you'd have like a sunny season, but the temperatures wouldn't vary that much. But that's a, a kind of a, a very narrow band around the planet, right? Most of us have migrated and evolved and especially Northern European people, et cetera. Um, and we've kind of evolved to have high degrees of different temperatures that we experience all the time throughout the seasons. And so being someone myself, as you know, that lives in LA, I don't really have seasons here, unfortunately. Uh, I create my own seasons using technology and exposing yourself to hot and cold is a great way to rewild. And in general... If you think of the human as a type of ape, which technically we are, if you look at what happens to all animals and especially apes, when you take them out of their natural environment, you put them in a zoo, for example, uh, their health begins to decline because they're not eating their natural diet. They aren't moving in natural ways. They're unable to traverse the landscape as they would living in the forest or the jungle, etc. So what we've done as a species, as humans, is we've put ourselves in prisons and zoos known as office buildings, airports, houses, supermarkets, etc., where we're not only living indoors and completely disconnected from our natural light and air and the microbiome of the soil and the plants and animals and everything that we would have evolved to interact with, but we're also not moving like the human ape animal is meant to move. And this is probably the area of rewilding that I'm most deficient in. Um, admittedly. And so, you know, I do the exercise that is fast, easy, and has the biggest bang for your buck, like my X3 Pro Bar and jumping on my trampoline and doing my Carol bike for some high intensity interval training in the garage and um, do a bit of hiking. I swim when I can, do a little bit of very novice Tai Chi, lots of uh, Kundalini yoga, sometimes some Hatha yoga. But the people that are really into primal movement, like my brother Cody's story, um, you know, there's a number of like move nat would be a great place to start. Now I've never fully committed to a natural movement practice, but I am a huge believer in the fundamental principles that drive those movements. It's just not something that I've been terribly attracted to or really built a discipline around. And, you know, I'm not being critical or hard on myself for admitting that it's just kind of the way it is. It's just not, it's not an area that I've really delved into a lot. But it is something that I would like to do more. And uh, what I kind of do is when I get outdoors, I just kind of pretend like I'm an ape, you know, and I'll, I'll climb some trees, I'll hang around, I'll do some squats. I mean, I do my best to kind of move like an ape. Now, there are people that take this to an extreme and will climb up hills on all fours and like really go next level. And I think that's great. 
But that's just something I, I wanted to throw in here because I think when it comes to our domestication and um, what we've done to ourselves, that limiting our ranges of motion in our various joints and throughout our body and living such a sedentary lifestyle is one of the main contributors con- contributors to our demise. Um, not only our diet, lack of fresh air, fresh water, but just the way we move is is just completely antithetical to health and well-being. So in terms of rewilding, let me see, Tiffany. Yes, it was Tiffany who asked that question. Thank you so much for asking that because I think oftentimes uh, myself and others included get caught up in the novelty and convenience of taking a magic smart drug pill supplement biohacking device to fix whatever's wrong with us. And while those things, of course, have a place, and I'm a huge fan of so many of those modalities and interventions, uh, to me, like our whole problem really stems from our lack of interaction with our natural environment. And that also includes, by the way, uh, interaction with other people and physical touch and love and sensuality and connection and intimacy and those things that we've also evolved to experience on a regular basis. And I noticed this a lot within my own life, just being single at the moment and living by myself. I mean, thank God I have my dog here. So I have another creature in the house to kind of interact with and relate to. But uh, because most of my friends are in relationships like the homies, they're, they're not around, you know, they're all nested up. And, um, you know, people come over to record the podcast, but I live in a little bit of a remote area of the city and I spend a lot of time by myself and I, I feel the effects of that. So one of the commitments I have to myself is in fact, just getting out and socializing more, um, not like going to bars and parties, but just kind of, uh, putting myself around small groups of people where I can interact and share thoughts and ideas and get loved on and love on other people and just get that element of human connection back. I think many of us that are in relationships get many of our needs served that way or people that have, um, you know, family members in close proximity. You know, we get our needs for intimacy and communication, um, connection met in those ways. But some of us, especially those of us that live away from our families or never had a terribly connected family to begin with and live in cities, we're kind of missing that. And so I would just add that as kind of um, an addendum to the rewilding. Keep in mind that we've also evolved to run in hunter-gatherer packs of 50 to 60 people. And we're around all those people pretty much all day, unless we're out on a hunt for a few hours. But there's going to be a communal time at night where we sit by the fire, we dance, we might even... Uh, you know, have some form of a, you know, a drink, alcohol, there could be plant medicines involved. I mean, ceremonies, all this kind of stuff. I mean, there's like people have gotten together uh, in community (laughs) since there have been people. And I think oftentimes in our modern lifestyle, we get so caught up in the hustle and the grind that we kind of forget how important that is. So I'll just throw that in there. Uh, Next one, Peter asks, how to optimize gut health. And this one, I'm going to, this will be the last question. I I tend to do about three per episode and it puts us at about an hour. So I think that's my average is three questions in an hour. Uh, I am not an expert on gut health. And it's funny because I think out of all of my, you know, in terms of physical issues that I have, really hacking the gut health and digestion has been one that I've had a very difficult time doing. I've solved so many problems that I've had over the years in terms of just weird stuff going on in the body through all the different things that I've learned and applied. 
But gut health to me, Peter, uh, still remains a bit of a mystery. It's funny as I'm talking about the gut, I'm feeling a big burp come up. I'm like, see, there it is right there. What did I eat? Um, I think a lot of my gut problems honestly have to do with the fact that I just don't eat enough normal solid food like meat and potatoes or what oh, I wouldn't eat potatoes probably because most of them are really high in pesticides or NPK fertilizers. But you know what I mean? Just eating like meat and veggies. When I eat that and a little seafood, I tend to feel good. But oftentimes I'm just in a hurry and I suck at cooking. I don't care about it. Um, I don't want to be good at it. I don't want to do it. Just not something I'm personally interested in. And so I think oftentimes I just live on smoothies and quick elixirs and things like that. And it's probably doing my gut a disservice. Um, But anyway, enough about my personal problems. Here are my recommendations based on the experts that I've interviewed and the things that have helped my uh, gut get along. First thing I would recommend is doing testing. Uh, Just guessing and hearing like, oh, I need to take a bunch of probiotics or prebiotics or whatever it is, I don't think is a wise strategy. For example, let's just say you hear prebiotic fiber is good for you, right? Like, um, you know, resistant starch or whatever the case may be. So you're like, oh, I need to feed the bacteria. So I'm going to eat a bunch of prebiotics. Well, what if you have a bunch of uh, bad guys, meaning like you have a bunch of bad bacteria, pathogenic, opportunistic bacteria in your gut. Well, guess what? You're just feeding them and helping them to proliferate. So the most important first step to me in gut health is testing. Now, there's a number of different tests you can do. Uh, A great one to start with is the Viome test. You can find that at lukestory.com forward slash store. That's Viome, V-I-O-M-E. Uh, That's a relatively easy test to do. It's inexpensive. I won't go into the details of how it's done in case you're eating lunch or something, but it is actually the least gross of all sort of um, stool collection and testing that you can do. Uh, And that's going to indicate to you what foods your gut needs and what foods it doesn't need. And it's interesting because when I did my most recent Viome test, I got back my results and I was like, oh my God, please don't tell me that I can't eat eat grass-fed beef or sardines or I don't know, whatever kind of shit that I eat. And, you know, there are a few vegetables I like and a few that I don't really like. And my test came back with exactly what my body naturally gravitates toward and gravitates away from. So the Viome test is a good starting point. However, I don't think that that's going to give you a complete picture, especially if you're someone with a very compromised microbiome. So the next step would be hooking up with a functional medicine doctor who really is um, specialized in understanding how to not only uh, you know read your gut biome labs and the results of that testing, but also to make very sound recommendations on how you might um, upgrade and fix whatever problems that you're having, right? So you might find that you have food sensitivities, you could have an overgrowth in fungus, bad bacteria, uh, there's all kinds of different things that can be going on in your gut. And it's very complex. And as I said, something that I don't at all claim to be an expert in, but I think just kind of guessing and just falling for you know marketing from different companies, trying to sell you different supplements and stuff, it's probably going to be a waste of time and money until you really get a snapshot of what's going on there. Now, I recently did um, the Viome test, as I said, and then I did some testing with um, Dr. Scott Share. And when you do your home like gut biome testing, I'm just going to warn you like the collection process because that's not really something 
someone can do for you. You I mean, how do you time that? Like you go into, you know, if you go into give blood, like you can give blood anytime. You know, you, you can't necessarily give give poops anytime. Um, so it's not for the faint at heart. It's pretty gnarly. Um, but anyway, you 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 mail your your do your dewey in and um, you know, lab analyzes it and then your doctor tells you what's up. When I had mine done, um, you know, there was one particular, I forget the name of it, Cleb Klebcellia it might have been called, a really bad you know, opportunistic bacteria that I had quite a lot of. There were also things that I was deficient in, um, butrate, um, I think butyric acid, I believe it's called, which you're supposed to have more of. Anyway, my gut wasn't horrible, but it's kind of jacked up and there's just no way I would have ever guessed what supplements I needed to take or how much of this or that. And so Dr. Scott got me dialed in and like told me maybe five supplements that I need to take and some different things I should be eating. And I'm seeing a huge improvement already in just a few weeks. I just never would have been able to guess that. So get a good functional medicine doctor, do the Viome test, like get the testing done first would be my recommendation. Then start working with the probiotics, the enzymes, the dietary changes, et cetera. Something that I know to be very effective and something that I would recommend doing under the guidance of an expert would be uh, rectal ozone. Uh, that's where you take an ozone generator and uh, you have a very specific concentration and a very timed um, insertion of a catheter in the old, and you uh, you put ozone gas up there and ozone gas kills just about everything in its tracks that's not good for you. So uh, this is especially useful for fungal infections, candida overgrowth, etc., it can also contribute in healing a leaky gut because as you get all of the bad critters out of your insides, uh, your body has the ability to heal that mucous membrane and all of those things inside. You've got to think of your digestive system as basically like a hose that goes from your mouth to your anus. And you think of it as the inside of your body, but that long tube is really outside of your body. It's a tube that runs through your body, but it's not open to your body. However, if you have leaky gut, outsides are getting into your insides, to put it very simply. And so doing the rectal ozone and different other interventions that can be recommended by a highly qualified functional medicine doctor can help you to heal all of that. And so um, I recommend, you know, researching ozone. I've been doing it myself because I did enough research. I kind of figured it out and it's going well, but it's not something I would go into willy nilly. Uh, there's a great book by Dr. Frank Schallenberger. You can find on ozone. I think it's called the ozone miracle and I've got it. I haven't quite read the whole thing. It's a super easy, quick read. I just haven't gotten around to it. I kind of like start doing the therapies and then I study on it sometimes <laughs> before I feel like I can recommend it. But there are clinics and places like that where you can go get ozone therapy. And that can be a quick way to get rid of some of the bad guys in your gut. Avoiding all foods that cause leaky gut, um, like non-organic wheat products, typically will have glyphosate or Roundup, which is just, just wrecks your gut in the worst way. And I would say most people probably have some degree of leaky gut from glyphosate, just being in our food supply, being in our water supply. Also, uh, be mindful that most beer and wine is loaded with glyphosate, especially wine. Um, so if you drink wine, from what I understand, uh, I would look into dry farms wines and also wines in Europe where glyphosate is uh, more restricted in its use, agriculturally speaking, especially in um, the raising of wine grapes. So avoiding 
products in your diet that wreck your gut and even, you know, the inflammatory kind of destructive nature of gluten. For some people, it seems some are more sensitive than others, but based on my research, gluten is probably something that we'd be best advised to avoid, generally speaking, if you want to have healthy digestion. Same thing goes for food preservatives. I think that that's a kind of a sneaky misnomer. Food preservatives, you know, they, they don't actually preserve. What they do is they kill. They should be called food pathogen killers because what preservatives in food do is prevent the growth of bacteria, et cetera, that's going to make the food spoil. So if you're eating food full of preservatives, you're killing the bacteria in your gut, even the bacteria that you need to have healthy digestion and to absorb minerals and nutrients from your food. And that's really one of the main problems that we have with digestive and gut problems is that we're perhaps eating a really high quality diet. We're taking great supplements. We're like putting everything in the body that it needs and wants. But the problem is, is that we're not assimilating that because our digestive system is not working properly. So that's why you want to avoid all of those nasties. Another thing that's really helped my gut is eating and drinking. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess you drink it bone broth. And this is something that's become quite popular. Um, this is not a new trend. Human beings have been boiling bones for as long as we've been tracking human behavior. And there's a lot of nutrients and collagen and gelatin and things in bone broth that are very healing to the gut. And also, it's also just very uh, nutritious, nutritionally dense because of the amino acids and the different things in there and the proteins are very bioavailable. Bone broth is just really, really good for you. You want to make sure that you source bone broth that isn't from animals that have a lot of lead in their bones or bone broth that has, um, you know, that's made with crappy tap water, et cetera. Kettle and Fire is a great brand. I think I have that pretty sure at lukestory.com forward slash store. And that one's shelf stable. A lot of the bone broths are kind of difficult because they go bad. And if you don't use them in time, you know, you get hosed. Um, so I like the kettle and fire for convenience purposes. You can also make your own. I think if you make your own bone broth, you can do that in a crock pot. I used to do it. You'll probably last about a month doing that. And then you're going to want to just go buy it. You end up spending that much money at the farmer's market on the grass-fed animal bones. And it's the fat gets everywhere all over your kitchen. I don't know. I wasn't a fan. But then again, as you know, as I said earlier, uh, I'm not a uh, culinary master by any stretch and I have no desire to become one. So maybe that's why I don't like making my own bone broth, but you can do it just so you know. And then also when it comes to digestion and gut health, I'm a huge fan of enzymes. You know, there's a lot of great and different types of enzymes you can take that help you break down carbohydrates, fats, and protein. Uh, there's a company called Bi Optimizers that I carry in my store that are my favorite so far. They also make a great HCL, hydrochloric acid product. Uh, many people are low in acid production and that happens to be one of the main causes of acid reflux, as weird as that might be. Most heartburn, heartburn is caused from low stomach acid, not too much stomach acid. And I just interviewed the guys from Bioptimizers. That'll be out soon, uh, early into 2020. And uh, they explain all of this, obviously, in much greater detail than I'm able to hear. But I do have a general understanding that enzymes uh, really help you break down food, especially if you have a compromised gut, as many of us do from growing up on Hot Pockets and Twinkies, etc. 
Another practice that can be great for gut health is periodic colon cleansing by getting colonics. There's different types and different ways of doing it. Uh, personally, it's something I'll do maybe a couple times a year. Uh, some people recommend more, some less. Some people don't recommend it at all. I think the the anti-colonic people would um, indicate that you're washing away all of the beneficial bacteria, which I'll give you a solution for. Um, but you want to be mindful uh, of the clinic that you're going to, making sure that they're using absolutely sterile water that has been filtered in terms of all the chemicals that are present in municipal sources of water, aka tap water. In other words, you have a mucous membrane inside your colon that absorbs everything just like the mucous membrane inside your mouth or vagina for that matter. So if, if you want to get things into your body, you put them in your mouth, vagina, or uh, colon because it absorbs right into your bloodstream and doesn't have to go through the digestive process. And that's great for putting certain things in, but you want to be mindful not to be putting poisons in by going to some shady colonic clinic. Uh, Speaking of um, clinics, there's something that they'll do uh, sometimes at some colonic clinics, and they'll do what's called an implant after the colonic. And they'll either implant positive probiotics to sort of repopulate the um, the lower uh, tract there, the, uh, what is it, the small intestine? I forget which one. Anyway, inside the colon, they put a bunch of good bacteria back in there. And then there's another therapy too, kind of as a different application, and that's doing an implant of enzymes, systemic enzymes that can go into your bloodstream and help with uh, things like scar tissue, et cetera. So there's a couple different types of implants you can do. I would definitely recommend putting some good bacteria in there after you've gotten thoroughly cleaned out. Many of us unknowingly have years and years of old debris stuck in our colon and um, very difficult to get out without putting some water in there and jarring it loose. And there's a number of different ways that you can do that. As I said, many different modalities. I personally prefer gravity-fed colonics. They're much more gentle, uh, a lot more comfortable than some of the other methods, which are kind of like putting a fire hose up your butt, can be quite crampy, to say the least. Another way that you can clean the colon is by doing different protocols involving eating clay, charcoal, and different binders that absorb and then remove toxins from your GI tract. I think this is a really important thing to do if you're going to start getting into fasting and detoxing and especially cleansing your internal organs. So if you're doing like a gallbladder or liver cleanse or something like that, which can be great, uh, it's really important that your colon is clean and working properly and its ability to eliminate those toxins once they all dump out of your organs. So it's something I definitely wanted to mention. And um, I'll be doing some more gut health podcasts. As I said, I've got one coming up with the guys from Bioptimizers where we really kind of dissect digestion specifically. And then also, you know, at one point I'm going to find like the gut expert. There's a few around that are great. Like Dr. Zach Bush seems to have some good things to say, a great body of knowledge. There's a couple other people I have on my radar. So um, this is such a fundamental uh, part of our health, really getting your gut optimized that it's something I'm going to focus on a bit in 2020 because I just think that it's so important. And as I said, it's something I'm personally uh, vested in sorting out because of the issues that I've had and, and continue to have to some degree. So you can look forward to more information on the gut coming soon. 
And I think that just about wraps up our three questions. As I said, uh, it's always best to talk to a health professional or a doctor or someone who has some credentials of some kind before undergoing any wacky uh, you know, health practices. So take all of this with a grain of salt. As I said, this is just stuff that I've learned from my many intelligent guests, many of whom have been brilliant doctors and such. Uh, but this is something you want to go research on your own. I'd also encourage you to join the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group where you can post questions just like this and have a high degree of likelihood that they will be answered on a future Q&A show just like the one I did. All right, uh, let's thank our sponsors, Just Thrive. That's Just Thrive Probiotic. And this is a perfect sponsor for this particular episode because this probiotic is spore-based, which means it survives the gut tract and then um, starts making a home inside of you. And that's what you want. Most probiotics are transitory by nature. This particular probiotic digs in and makes a home and... uh, improves your gut health dramatically. So that's justthriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. You can use the code Luke15 to save 15% off at thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Then our old friends at Organifi, that's organifi.com forward slash Luke. The code there's lifestylish and you save 20%. And then uh, next you can go to Peak T. That's Peak T is spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T dot com. Enter the code Luke Story for 10% off. And uh, they rarely do sales there. They're not someone that gives out codes willy-nilly. So you definitely want to check that out. That's peakt.com. Use the code Luke Story. However, I must give the disclaimer that a discount does not apply to their fermented puer teas, the fancy ones, due to limited quality. So thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I look forward to uh, jumping back into your ears this Tuesday with Wild Fed, How to Become a Modern Day Hunter-Gatherer with Daniel Vitalis. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And do yourself, the world, and me a favor and share this show with a friend right now. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.